We've had a loss in the Snow Day podcast family. Bill Harwood passed away since we last recorded an episode. Social Media Todd's dad was a fan of the program and a friend of mine. We're really going to miss him. He was the first person to use our Snow Day podcast. Gmail, Todd, Anne, and Colleen, we're thinking of you. Here's a long episode alert. We're going to try to do better in the future and not get carried away like this, but once we start talking, it's hard to stop. There's a bit of a natural break at 42.30. If you want to split this into two pieces, I'll flag that spot for you when we get there. It's January 2020. This is episode 30, University. There's only three of us. So Stevie D is building an airplane in the air while he flies it. And we thought we had him lined up for today and he couldn't make it. So, so much for no crew member left behind. Just before we get started, just to make sure we're all on the same page as we're listening to this, understand this is just four guys sitting around in a virtual living room having a chat because they're stuck in a snowstorm. It's not our professional selves. There's nothing here we're embarrassed about, but there's going to be a little bit of swearing and just us being us. So let's just take it for what it is. We met at Juniper Elementary School in Thompson, Manitoba. Now we're in Winnipeg, Calgary, Toronto, and any place an airplane will take us. This is the Snow Day Podcast with Dr. George Alvarez. If they said no, I'm, I'm waiting tables as a career. Fuck off, get out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you? Get out. <laughs> Leadership expert Stephen DeGroote. It's like paint by numbers, and then somebody spilt milk on it and uh, couldn't rescue it. That's my, that's my path. Is like eleven years of post-secondary education. CEO Leslie Hansen. When I was first hiring people, you know, if, if somebody walked in with a Harvard degree, it meant they were really smart. And now, if someone walks in with a Harvard degree, it meant that their parents had a lot of money. And me, I'm still here. Bruce Krentz, the one they left behind. So I, I do a switch over into recreation, which is uh, some would argue a lighter course load than engineering. <laughs> How about if I start with you, Georgie, a little check-in, what's been going on, man? Well, I think the biggest highlight since we lasted a pod here is Les and I ended up going to Cleveland to watch uh, the Brownies play, and I have two comments. One, it's very weird to go to a city that's so fanatical about one sport. And Les will attest to this. I mean, they have an NBA basketball championship in recent memory. Their baseball team is good. But when they talk about sports, there's only one team. Even though inexplicably they're the worst team of any sport <laughs> in the last 20 years. <laughs> so that's interesting. So that makes you know Les being a fan for the last 20, 25 years also funny. But I actually didn't even debrief with Les about this. I was waiting to talk to you guys about this on the pod. In my mind, I had thought that Les had never been to a Brownies game and that this was some sort of bucket list thing. <laughs> so I took a day off work. 
I flew, and there's no direct flights. It took me like eight hours to get to Cleveland. I show up, I take a shower, we turn around in half an hour, start walking, get hammered, meet these two local guys, and they were two great guys. We ended up getting a little bit drunk with them. And um, one of them looked like Ice Cube. He was awesome. And so uh, we're chatting each other up, and of course it comes up, why are you here? Why are you visiting us from Canada? And I turn and I said, well, actually, it's kind of a bucket list thing for my friend Les here. He's never been to a Cleveland Browns game. And Les looks at me and goes, what are you talking about? I've been to several. (laughs) 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 And that is literally the first time I had heard that, wait, I took a day off work and flew to Cleveland, and this isn't your first Cleveland Browns game. But by then we were drunk enough that it didn't matter. Yeah, at the start you said a little drunk and I saw the pictures. You looked really drunk. (laughs) (laughs) George, I should point out that it it was your New Year's resolution this year to be a better friend. So uh, you were a good friend. You came to Cleveland with me to go to a Browns game. (laughs) You're a good friend. You're right, I did do that. That's going way better than the pull-ups, just saying. We're at this bar pregame. We're hanging out with these guys. And they love the fact that we've come all the way from Canada to to go to a Browns game. They think this is like the coolest thing. They're introducing us to all these people. It's like, hey, these guys came all the way down from Canada. These guys came all the way down from Canada. And finally... This guy rolls up and he'll say, yeah, where are you from? Whatever. He's like, yeah, I'm here to see the game. He's like, yeah, these guys came all the way from Canada. And that guy goes, oh, that's nothing. I came from Alaska to see this game. <laughs> and he fucking trumped us. We were, we were done just like that. We went from being the coolest guys on the, in that uh, uh, party to uh, just sitting on the sidelines. <laughs> just a couple chumps. How far is it from Toronto to Cleveland? It's not really that far, is it? No, it's it's actually, it's funny because it's uh, about a five-hour drive because you have to go around the lake, but it's only like 40 minutes in the air. <laughs> yeah. I was very pleasantly surprised how good the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is. If anybody glows to Cleveland, not only should you go watch a major sporting event, but the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is well worth the time. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep, I would I'm agree. Bruce, it. you would love that place. And you need to, uh, when you do go to Cleveland, you need to schedule like an entire day to spend there because you will totally geek out on all that stuff. I'm there. Here's my add-on to that. If you're ever in Phoenix, the Musical Instrument Museum. It's a hidden gem. It's huge. It's absolutely massive. Like we spent half a day there and barely touched it. It's crazy from like the very first drum made out of who knows what right up to like electric guitar exhibits and stuff. It's crazy. Super cool. Hmm. Now that George probably took your highlight, Lester, what do you got? (laughs) Yeah, he did. He always (laughs) steals my best stories, eh, this guy? (laughs) I got to stop going to him first. It's brutal. Yeah, well, yeah. It goes to show you that I just, I spend too much time with him. I share too many of my good life (laughs) events with George. I got to start diversifying my friend group a little bit, doing more shit on my own. (laughs) <laughs> uh, no, obviously that was a that was a big one. I think since the last pod, the only other thing I've been just getting back into the Raptor season, starting to get excited about that again. But so I gave the my tickets to the Saturday night game to this young girl in my office, a sales associate. And I came in this morning. She comes into my office and she goes, "Hey, I just wanted to uh, to really say thank you so much for those tickets. Like it was really." really an amazing experience. I'm like, oh, that's good. You know, glad you enjoyed them. Hope you're a Raps fan. And she's like, yeah, yeah. I think I told you I was I was going to take my boyfriend to the game, right? And she goes, yeah. So uh, he proposed to me at the game. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? She goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He had it all planned out. And so they were there early. They were down standing beside the court, George, like when we were there for that, for the finals game, we yeah. went really early. 
And she said, yeah. Norm Powell and Fred Van Vliet were warming up and there was like nobody around. And he got down on one knee on the edge of the court and proposed to her. <laughs> like, oh. Fuck, that's kind of a heartwarming story. I, I played like a small part in that by, by giving you those tickets. That's great. Let's talk to the guy in 10 or 15 years. He might have a different story. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah he fucking hates you. You <laughs> hate. Exactly. Or she hates me. Yeah, my boss yeah. gave me these fucking tickets to a Raptor game. My asshole boyfriend <laughs> decided to get all romantic and propose to me. <laughs> Fucking ruined my life. <laughs> yeah, so that happened. That happened on the weekend. And uh, I'm still battling my way through these these renos on my place. So I've been moved out of my place, living in a succession of uh, short-term rentals for a while. It's starting to drive me crazy. But hopefully we are, uh, we are close to the end of that. To me, the highlight has to be those guys walking in the 500 pound I-beam and the fact that they practiced with a fake one the day before. Like, oh, yeah, that just, that's nobody, cool, still man. blows me away. Like, it's such a cool story. It's very yeah, downtown, yeah. like very downtown <laughs> Toronto. I love that. That's like, like proper project planning. George, did we tell you that story? No, like did they use a 3D printer to make like a replica? <laughs> they were putting in like a 500 pound steel beam across the front of my mezzanine, whatever, like 30 foot long, 500 pound steel beam. And so to make sure they weren't gonna run into any problems getting it into the building, right? Cause they gotta come up through the, through the lobby and down the hall and around the corners and this and that and get into my place and up into position. They built a replica just out of light wood and they practiced with it. So so they knew they wouldn't, weren't gonna get like halfway in and get stuck in a hallway where they couldn't get it around a corner or something. So <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool. That's actually, that's actually pretty impressive. Smart guys, these contractors, they've been pretty good. I have the exact opposite story. So just it's funny that you mentioned that. So I ended up doing a a small reno on on my daughter's um, basement suite. So I kind of gave her, I can't really give her a walk-in closet, but there's a space that naturally makes a sort of walk-in closet. And uh, to save some money, the guy said, look, we should just buy these Ikea shelves and then I will blow out the hole and make it look like it's custom made. It'll save you quite a bit of money. And I said, sure, okay, because I've known this guy for, for a long time. So he builds the Ikea shelves outside of her room. And then I come home at the end of the day and they're like in the middle of the basement, I'm like, Troy, what's going on? He goes, oh, fuck, they don't fit through the door. I had to take them apart and build them in their house, <laughs> build them in the room. <laughs> so I had to laugh at that. <laughs> so that's the opposite of your story. That's why Les didn't hire Troy's <laughs> renovations. That's the- Yeah, exactly. No, no. <laughs> I don't have too much, boys, other than uh, showing my age again this past two weeks. Took a hard tumble playing hockey and bruised up my ribs bad. Oh, I don't know boy. if you guys have had bruised ribs before. This is my first time oh, yeah. with like really seriously bruised ribs. And holy man, it is crippling. Yeah. It's terrible. It's a nightmare, <laughs> man. I feel for you. Try not to sneeze. Every time I sneeze, I want to puke. And even coughing has been just uh, terrible. I went in uh, went in for an x-ray, but uh, they're not cracked, just just badly bruised. And then I went. I actually went to the chiropractor too to make sure I was all in line and everything. And I mm-hmm. thought it was hilarious. I hadn't been there forever. And part of the uh, the waiver that you sign signs off on the fact that she could break your ribs during the procedure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, but I'm here because I think I might have cracked ribs. And she's pretty cool, but she just didn't, either didn't get the joke or wasn't going to give me any traction on that. She's just like, yeah, it could happen. <laughs> <laughs> 
I blew my rehab plan because I got, I don't know how old you are when you stop succumbing to peer pressure, but her and Marnie told me not to go play hockey about a week later. And then I got a bunch of texts. And so I thought, oh, I'll be fine. And it set back my <laughs> rehab like big time. And so when I went to see her, I was like, yeah, sorry, I didn't listen. I should have known better. And she was just shaking her head like I can't legislate against stupidity like i can't i just can't help you i can't heal your brain it's too weak (laughs) yeah totally like i can put your ribs back in place but that's it This is a little piece that we're dropping in after I put together a lot of the pods. So, Steve, you weren't with us when we originally recorded this. We were hoping to. Now you're here with me. What we're going to do is we're going to listen to the podcast and then uh, drop in a few of our thoughts. Right on. We're going to talk about our friends behind their backs, basically, is what's going to happen. <laughs> I can't wait to listen with you, Bruce. I don't know. Do we have enough time to just stop and pause it and take the piss out of them at every... At every junk because I'm I'm pretty sure that they're going to talk about uh, what great friends they are, you know they they may this is a forecast sound like grumpy privileged men. I'm sure if we're talking about education, those dinosaurs will probably demonstrate how out of touch they are. These are the things that I'm excited about. <laughs> I've had the luxury of listening to this quite a few times as right. I edited some of it yeah. down because it was a long conversation. And I feel like what one thing that we really missed out on talking about, and I think, I hope you picked up on this. A few times we talked about sort of like skilled labor and taking a trade. And I hope that right. being an RCMP or a firefighter or joining the military, paramedic, any of those things kind of fit into that skilled trade conversation. And I just, I just really felt like we did a whole giant conversation and those many great life paths didn't show up in there. And right. so that, that sort of bugged me a little bit. I have the luxury of now getting to go back and correct some things I felt right. I didn't do right. Yeah. So those guys, eh, not so much. Yeah, they, didn't, they, didn't get a, they didn't get a redo, but I've been waiting since the Montreal podcast to take the piss out of them. So I remember them both saying it was the best podcast of all time because I wasn't there. So that's why, uh, hence the intro. So I've been looking forward to that for what is over a year. Today your sweet revenge just before we get into the pod and and that conversation and then you and I are going to come back at the end uh, with some comments but what have you been up to so how come you at the last minute couldn't make it to our last pod I don't even use the b word if people say how you doing I don't say uh, you know I'm busy I say I'm super fantastic as who isn't busy and who doesn't want like who really wants to hear it we went live with a, a new company so I'm really excited about that that was a lot of heavy lifting. Got lots of support from Lester and lots from Georgie as well uh, and from you. And uh, it's off the ground. But, uh, you know, like any massive endeavor, every every finish line is the new starting line. So, um, so when people ask me how it's going, I say just faster and more. <laughs> Sweet. It's like when you have your second kid, your life doesn't change as much. It just gets twice as busy. Yeah, well, at least, you know, I remember George uh, describing me as the, the kid running downhill with the arms flailing. At least they're flailing so fast, it's like a hummingbird. So you just, it's so, it's so eloquent. You can't see them. You can just feel the wind from them. You're creating your own draft to propel you forward. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Exactly. Lifting, <laughs> lifting my own, I'm just getting my own pro- propelling force Yeah, to, to go higher. Dynamite, we're going to ask the guys this question. So I think this is a good way to lead into the main podcast. But we all talked about what our education journey was. Um, what what's yours it's like paint by numbers and then somebody spilt milk on it and uh, couldn't rescue it that's my <laughs> that's my path is like 11 years of post-secondary education i mean i hated school uh, i was bored i stayed for a couple of beautiful girls i met i can say who they are carla gruber christine buller uh, and and my friends 
singing and playing sports. Uh, that's what got th- got me through high school. But after school, it was 11 years of post-secondary education, psychology, social work, interdisciplinary, master's, uh, formal education, but lots of jobs on the way, uh, a little bit of time off. Um, and then I went back to teaching in academia, which was probably the best thing for me because it helped me realize that academia pretty much has most human behavior theories wrong. So I wouldn't have figured that out if I didn't test them all. So, so yeah, it was a, it's, it, that sounds like a formal education, but there was a lot of stops on the tour and a lot of working experience, right? Lots of volunteering, lots of charity, uh, lots of human services. So it was, a, it was a good mix. I'd say half and half. Brick and mortar school and real life school. And some of it was in Winnipeg and some of it was here in Thompson, right? So you've got a couple different perspectives too. Yeah, Winnipeg, Thompson, yeah, and uh, university, a little bit of UBC and a little while at U- University of Calgary. So Ooh, yeah. Crazy, man. Mm-hmm. Okay, on with the show. Here's George and Les and I talking about university and whether it's a good idea. Here all we right. go. How much pressure or how much influence or how much encouragement are you giving your children to go to university or how much encouragement would you give to young people to pursue higher education like that? George, I feel like some of this started when you and Marnie were on the deck out at Studio P, but I feel like we've all had these conversations in some different places. The interesting thing for us, I think, is... We probably will all say that we that we strongly encourage kids to go to university, but we have an example in our midst, Donovan Jones, who's a 30-year Inco guy that didn't go to university, had a pretty, I shouldn't say had, it's not like he's dead, has had a great life. <laughs> he's, he's made a lot of money and, uh, I mean, he's retired long before the rest of us and seems to be extremely happy. So... There are certainly you can, I mean, go down a different path, but it's interesting because I don't think any of us consider that too, too much. So I'll start with you, George, maybe confirm that uh, that's kind of the conversation that you and Marnie had. And and what are your thoughts on your kids getting a degree? Yeah, I think the conversation started with her considering doing a master's degree in her math. And uh, you guys started figuring out what it would cost how long it would take, and then the incremental amount that the uh, school board would pay her to have more education. That's where it actually came from. And then it lended to, um, you know, what is every year of university worth versus when you're in your 20s, um, you know, versus late 40s, because obviously when you're young, you can be completely selfish, be absorbed, get into debt versus when your kids are about to go into university which is what your kids were doing. So that's where that actually came from, uh, which ended up being a pretty interesting conversation, looking out over Paint Lake, having a beer. Well, and here's the interesting update before I let you go on, because it's kind of funny. Marnie did sign up, she got accepted, started to do the course, and then something changed with our provincial government, and it turns out that she was gonna have to, it's sort of a long story around the number of credit hours she needed, but it sort of changed abruptly. So she would have had to do an extra year of schooling to get enough credits to get her master's to be recognized by the school district. And at first it was worth the money. And with that extra year, it wasn't. So it's almost exactly what you said. In your 20s, you've got lots of years. (laughs) When you're getting close to your 50s, you don't have too many years. And it turns out it was much more lucrative for her to just sign up for one more year of teaching 
than it was to do all the work and put out the money to get her degree. So, so she's a dropout, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> but, but for great reason. Yeah, well, no, no, I, I, we should all start with how we got into education. So when I was living in Thompson with both of my parents not being able to afford to go past middle school in Portugal, there was absolutely no question that I was going to university. Like that was a slam dunk. It was talked about all the time. My dad said, I put money aside. Inko's going to give you a scholarship if you're good. So for, you know, my mother was whispering, be a doctor, be a doctor, be a doctor in my sleep. I'm certain, <laughs> you know, so I was preordained as the only, you know, to go. And I think that's trickled down a little bit to my kids. I mean, my kids know that I have put a fair amount of money for their RESP so that when they decide to go to some sort of secondary education, they know that dad's already been saving it. So either directly or indirectly, I think I'm influencing um, my children. And, and furthermore, I will often say the reason why we're so lucky and dad works so hard is to provide that the life that we have and they see how I can work hard and then not work hard. And I tell them that's directly correlated to the amount of education and choosing a profession that I'm lucky that I chose. So that's sort of some base comments about me personally. But I went on the internet because I know Les loves data and I love facts. So I think some of our comments should be couched in the fact that the average Canadian makes about 35K a year, a family makes about 98K a year, and that's plus or minus about five, depending on where you are. And when you take a look, when you Google things like income and education, it's actually quite striking the difference. So in Canada, if you have a university degree over your lifetime, you will make seven times more money than someone with a high school degree. And I think that kind of depends on where you are. So to bring it back to Donovan, I mean, if you're from a a mining town or uh, a one-trick pony town, like whether you're, you know, logging in BC or fisheries in Newfoundland or in northern Manitoba, I think depending if, you know, what decade you are, I think you could have made a very good living and those stats don't apply to you. I think Donovan would be outside of that on someone who started early, got rid of his mortgage, paid for everything, retired, you know, had kids early, they're already out of the, the house. But on average, I think it's important that people understand how much more money you make with a university degree versus not a university uh, degree. And it's actually incremental. If you have an apprentice, you make more money. If you've got a university degree, you more, make more money. If you take STEM courses, which are very big in Alberta right now, so the science, tech, engineering, math type, you make way more money than if you do humanities, arts, even nursing. So for me, for sure, there is just absolute data that you will make more money than if, if you go to higher education than not. That doesn't necessarily equate to you being happier, which I'll talk about a little bit. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. And when you talk about a degree in higher education, where does, uh, in your mind, where does a trade fall in there? Like, does, and I'm embarrassed to say this, but does Donovan have a trade? Uh, I, don't th I don't think so. No, I don't think so. Yeah, no, I think he did mines training. Because a lot of the guys that I know that work at the mine end up with, you know, uh, uh, as a mechanic or as a welder or, or something like that. Yeah, I, I don't think I actually know. I think he got trained on the job like many people did 
I'll, I'll jump in after that, going back to some of the things you said. So yeah, there was a, I felt like a pretty clear expectation in my house when I was growing up that we were all going to go to university and give that a shot. I don't think my parents ever, you know, sort of sat me down and said, this is the only option you have. Like you'll be disowned if you don't do it. But it, again, it was some pretty clear expectations. I think that that was our path and same thing. They had set aside a little bit of money and a little bit of it for us too, George. And you'll agree, everybody was going. I shouldn't say everybody, but there was a, a big number of our peer group was going. So that was just kind of the next step. It was almost like high school ends and university starts and that's just how it's going to be. Yes. And I see a little bit of that with my kids and it's interesting because I think I tried to have more conversations with them around looking at some other options. Same thing, taking a trade. I And I was sort of half joking, half serious. I kept saying to Paige, like, why don't you become an electrician or a plumber? Those are two that I'm kind of interested in. And I'd like to go to trade school with you, you know, the first couple of years and you get a trade and you're, you're set for life and then you can go to university. Um, I'd more do it just because I'm interested in it. Obviously, she had no interest in going to school with her dad at 18. <laughs> that, was, that really never got any traction whatsoever. But I, I was serious with both our kids saying, hey, don't feel like university is your only path. But at the same time, I think just the environment we live in with our, our peer group and the other parents that are around, that was really probably the clearest path. And that's where they've ended up. And part of that just is we don't have a lot of tradespeople. We have just sort of professionals like me in our whole circle. So we don't see a lot of that. And I think you, everyone ends up a chip off the old block. When your parents own the corner store, you often end, have a corner store. If your parents were in the circus, you end up in the circus, right? So um, a little bit of that is that. Lester, thoughts? I'll start with George, because I think there's a really interesting juxtaposition between George and I in our educational paths. And this is something that I've thought of probably more often, George, than you realize. In, in my life, the number of times that I've thought of the fact that I remember the very first day that I met you, the first day of grade five, you told me you wanted to be a doctor. Many times in my life, I've thought back to that, like how incredible it is that you had that clarity of thought and you had like a direction and purpose through your life that took you out of a lot of the years of you know late teen and and 20 year old angst of trying to figure out what the hell you're going to do with your life like you always had that path because you knew you wanted to be a doctor your education path was predetermined so you never really had to make any decisions about whether you wanted or didn't want to continue on with higher education because it was like a predetermined path and goal yes. for you, which I think is is pretty cool. Whereas Bruce and I had to kind of more figure out, oh, what are we going to do when we grow up? And if I want to do this, what's the schooling that I need to do? And should I go to undergrad? And should I go to grad school? And stuff like that. Touching on what, what Bruce said, I think that, yeah, a lot of it has to do with the family environment that you grow up. We each grew up in a household where our parents were educators, right? So there was certainly going to be a healthy push towards education. Within my family, it goes back even a couple generations because my grandmother and her two sisters, these three sisters, coming from Norway and growing up on the prairies in Saskatchewan in the 30s, all three of them had uh, university degrees, which was an incredible feat back then for yeah, women on the prairies in the 30s getting university degrees. So there was like a drive towards education in my family, probably why my father ended up 
being a school teacher. You know, both of his brothers went to university as well. But I definitely grew up in a house like what Bruce was describing, where there was just this expectation, like after high school, you're going to university. Like there, there wasn't really any question. We never really questioned that path. You know, growing up in a small town like Thompson, you kind of knew, you know, there was one group of kids that were going to stay and there was one group that were going to leave. And when you left, it's because you were leaving to go to university, right? And that was, it, it, we didn't even really put much thought into what we were going to take or where we were going to go, but we knew we were going to go to university. Coming back to those stats that you laid out, George, well-researched. Thank you. I appreciate that. Love the, love the data research <laughs> aspect of the pod. So good, good job on that. But one thing I'm going to say without, without um, reference checking your research article there, I'm going to assume that those metrics are all looking backwards and not looking forwards. So those like seven times the lifetime earnings and whatnot is for our generation historically. And it's not necessarily a projection on the lifetime earning of your kids moving forward. So I think that's what makes this topic interesting today to figure out for our parents and for us, there was a huge monetary incentive to get higher education. And is that still going to be the same for your kids? And and that's the question that I think we we need to kind of tackle and, and ask ourselves, because I think, you know, Bruce raises some really interesting points of if we take ourselves out of our mental paradigm of we think our kids should have university degrees, where is the best path to a rewarding, both financially and soulfully rich career path for them where they can uh, be successful in society. And does that still start with a university degree the way it did 25, 30 years ago, I guess? I don't think that I feel the same way today that I did 30 years ago in answering that question. Yeah, good points. Well, let me circle back to a couple of comments because I think you, you said something interesting. We also came from a town that I think lent to those two paths happening. So we've often said that Thompson, especially in the 70s and 80s, were the sort of Fort McMurray of Manitoba. It was a boom town. You didn't need a high school education to get hired on in Inco. That has since changed. And people from all over the world, literally, end up in northern Manitoba, all over Canada, including generally impoverished areas of Canada, Saskatchewan, the East Coast. And they generally had the attitude that I want a better life for my kids. And for most immigrants, that means university or you work for the town because INCO is in a very directly responsible for much of our success and prosperity in my life. I often say that. So I think it's interesting that you said that less, but I think it's not just your household. I think it's Thompson in general that lent um, our uh, immigrant population to want to get educated. Number two, I think what you're referring to is I can't remember the mathematical term. It's something like funneling with university um, on where you're going to be projected to go. Uh, And this is the last point that you made. I think it's actually going to get worse because the way things are getting automated, and Amazon is a very good example, the jobs that are being gobbled up um, by traditionally people that would not have university educations, the people that used to work at Safeway that were tellers. Well, tellers are going away. Taxi drivers are going away. Walmart greeters are going away. And you have people like Amazon who employ very low-skilled people to basically 
you know, deliver stuff to you. I think actually it's going to become worse in the future because there are jobs that are going to be created in the future that we don't even know about. They don't even exist. So I think university will allow our children and future generations to be exposed to stuff that we have no idea about. And I think these relatively low paying jobs that don't require a lot of education, I think they're leaving the marketplace. I think they're evaporating. And I think I have a, I think there's a big concern in most societies and how we're going to support uh, these poorly educated people who would traditionally do a manual or menial job that now AI will take over from. Oh, you're absolutely correct, George, from an economic standpoint, that is a that is a huge reckoning that is just starting to come. I think a lot of political scientists would tell you that is the big one of the big things that's fueling the populist uprising on a on a global or semi-global basis. Um, I think within that argument, you have to make a pretty clear definition between unskilled and skilled labor, mm. right? Like what Bruce was suggesting, you know, being an electrician and a plumber is not considered a menial or unskilled task. Correct. It's just a non-university degree skilled job. And Bruce, I will tell you, if uh, if she wants to go in one of those directions, push her towards electrician, they make a lot more money than plumbers. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> The electrician is always the most expensive guy on the job site. True. It's it's generally cleaner, but it's darker because <laughs> most of the time you work with the lights off. Yeah, fair enough. But one of the things that I think is is interesting now is how much the economics of education has changed over the time period since we left university, mm-hmm. right? Because I know that my parents believed it doesn't matter what university degree you get. If you have a degree, you will get a good job. Mm-hmm. That is no longer the case at all, right? And especially at the undergrad level. Like for my personal story, I went to business school, did a business undergrad because I didn't I didn't really want to do education, but I knew I had to get a university degree. Knew I wanted to be in business, had no idea what that even meant when I was when I was young. But I decided to go to business school. And then halfway through undergrad business degree, I decided I'm never going to go to grad school. So I don't really give a shit. I just got to finish this degree and figure out what I want to do. So leaving business school, I felt a little, um, not like I had wasted my time, but I felt like I got to learn this in the real world. But I have this stamp of approval that did open a lot of introductory doors for me. Now, five years out, I realized, well, shit, if I want to open the next level of doors, I really need an MBA. So I applied for, got into MBA programs. I was just about to go, I think George, you probably remember this. I was going to go to uh, to Western and do my MBA at Ivy, a really good business school. That winter, just before I was supposed to go enroll, I got a really good job and I had to make that same you know decision that Marnie had to make this summer where I had to go, okay, am I going to take a huge student loan so I can go do an MBA at Western or am I going to take this job and make you know, what for me at that point in time was the most money I would have ever made, right? So I was like, oh shit, what do I do now? So I deferred for a year. And after a year, I was like, you know what? I kind of feel like guys graduating with an MBA would be happy to get the job that I have now. So I chose not to pursue further education. That was sort of mid nineties. I would not tell somebody now in 2019 that the same path necessarily makes makes sense for them because I don't think an undergraduate business degree 
opens a tremendous amount of doors anymore. So I tell people all the time, if you're interested in business, you should probably get an undergrad degree in something that interests you and will expand your mind, then go do an MBA and just expect that you're probably going to need seven years of school or six years of school instead of four. That I think has has changed quite a bit over the over the 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 generation since we've been out of school. But the other thing I want to come back to, and maybe this is the more important point. What I find interesting is that America still is selling this dream of education being the be-all, end-all of financial concerns. You still see commercials. I see these all the time because they show them during basketball a lot, where the McDonald's employees are all standing around and the one kid working at McDonald's got the McDonald's scholarship fund and got accepted to university and he starts crying and the manager hugs him and everybody's cheering because this kid got to go to university. It's like, oh my God, he made it. Mm -hmm. America needs to wake up to, you know, fast forward that four years to all of these entire generation of kids walking around now with undergrad degrees from good schools who can't get jobs and have all this student debt that they can't hope to pay off. But they've been sold that dream, literally sold that dream in the U.S. because education is now a for-profit business in the United States. Canada as well, not quite as bad. We sort of, as, as with many things, we follow the American lead and try not to do it to the, to the same extreme. <laughs> education is a for-profit business in the U.S. And so they've been sold this dream of education, like take on $100,000, $150,000 worth of student loan debt to get this a degree uh, and realize after you get the degree, the job you get with the degree will never allow you to pay off the student loan debt. A lot has changed, I think, over, over the past 20, 25 years in how we view the financial rewards of education. I think you're right. I mean, the whole, I don't want to delve too deep into it, but the, the fact that rich celebrity parents are basically selling their souls to get their kids into the right universities. That's the far extreme of what's going on in the States. Yeah, for sure, right? Like that's that's just sort of like another aspect of it. It used to really matter, or we were told it really mattered where you went to school. Like you had to go to a good school, right? Yeah. When we were in university, if, uh, or, or even when I was first in the job force, when I was first hiring people, you know, if, if somebody walked in with a Harvard degree, it meant they were really smart. And now if someone walks in with a Harvard degree, it meant that their parents had a lot of money. That's all it means. Yeah. Right? Like that's that the whole system has flipped to become a financial, a financial reward system. John Oliver, he, he makes an entire episode about that profit and how grotesque universities, colleges, how they get credentialed. They're just a gigantic engine to steal money to keep their endowment funds. It is a big mm -hmm. money operation and it's a it's so extremely bad right now. And lucky for us, Canada isn't quite there, but I will tell you that things are also a changing. And, and my personal example is from 1992 to 1996, my med school cost 3,200 in the first year, 3,600 in the last year. Uh, so it went up 400 in four years. Of course, this wasn't room and board and books and stuff, but still, well within, uh, you know, the Inkle scholarship or the affordability of somebody. Yep. Now, med schools, you can't get into a med school for less than 25K a year. So it really 
A Canadian med school? Canadian med school. There is no med wow. student that doesn't graduate with an undergrad and their medical grad on average of 100 to 150K in debt. Yeah. I graduated with, you know, hardly any debt, partly because I could go back to Thompson and work at the mine. <laughs> but you do bring up a good point is I still think it's worth it, but there are certain universities or degrees that really you've got to be prepared for a long haul. I mean, I think graduating with $150,000 worth of debt and you become, you know, a physician, I'm, you know, you're going to be able to pay that off, obviously. But it is, it's definitely magnitudes different than for us. So there is a, a, a literal dollars and cents cost to university that I think wasn't so applicable to me and you. Yeah. For sure. Going back to what you said, Les, here's a, an interesting thing on the dream that we're getting sold in America and and in Canada, I think, around the education is your story's kind of the same as mine. So my education path is go to University of Manitoba, signed up, direct entry into engineering, um, not ready in life or sharp enough or care enough to be a good engineer. So that year didn't go well. I learned a lot. I had a lot of fun at res. <laughs> it's such a great story. George can attest to that. You, you saw some of that. And I actually worked as an engineering summer student for five years with highways, which was amazing. I made incredible money. I was, you know, by those days standards among my friends, I was like you, George, I was rich kind of yes, in a way. But I worked with engineers and I realized separate from the fact that probably I wasn't ready to put in the work to be an engineer I didn't see my life going that way, mm -hmm. which was good on the job experience, right? Like I, I saw what they were doing and I thought, no, that's not me. So I, I do a switch over into recreation, which is uh, some would argue a lighter course load than engineering. <laughs> it's all about personalities, boys. Not, not everybody's yeah. cut out for recreation either. Yeah, that's true. So I go through, get my degree there. Loved it, right? It was something that I liked doing and obviously fits with my personality. So I get out too with a maybe not the world's greatest degree, but it's a degree. The next thing I know, I'm reading this fax from Joe Haven, the Hamlet of Joe Haven, and it had been faxed around so many times that you could barely read it, but it said $52,000 a year. Well, none of my friends in Winnipeg from recreation or a lot of other things were going to start their you know, work career at $52,000 a year in 1991 or two, yeah, right? That was huge, huge year one money. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, no, it was bananas. And and then we went up north yeah. too, and Marnie was making good money there too. The job that I did there and much of the recreation jobs I've done since then, I don't draw on my university courses very much. I'm not exactly sure what that prepared me for in the real world, but it gave it opened the door for me because I had a recreation degree and I was willing to not stay in the city. And it's a little bit like your story, I think, Les. You took some jobs that maybe weren't the most attractive to some other people. So if you never wanted to travel, the jobs that you took probably weren't a great idea. Yeah. And if you didn't want to go to the Arctic, my job wasn't great. And I think sometimes now we're still getting sold the story that if you have a degree, you'll get a good job. Well, if you don't ever want to leave your parents' basement or your, you know, your condo, then yes, you need a master's or something else. But a bachelor's degree now and still the willingness to, to keep putting in the work. So you can either put in the work with another degree or you can put in the work on the job and things will go well for you. But I totally agree that, that a degree helps you to, uh, to open some of those doors. Hello, CD listeners. We've come to the point in this album where those listening on cassette or records will have to stand up or sit down and turn over the record or tape. In fairness to those listeners, we'll now take a few seconds before we begin side two. Thank you. Here's side two. The other thing that I can bring to this conversation, 
is from the hiring side because I mean you guys know over my career I've hired hundreds and hundreds of people different types of jobs and I can tell you that 20 years ago I always started a resume by reading through somebody's education. I was very interested in where did they go to school? What did they take? How well did they do in school? I would grill them all the time. Now, when I look at a resume, I give that maybe five seconds of airtime. And I'm really not very interested in their education. And that's definitely changed over the 20 years. Having said that, there are still jobs that we post, you know, when we're talking about a position, if it's a new position, you know, what are we going to post the hiring requirements for this position? And sometimes we will say, you know, minimum requirement, bachelor degree. Sometimes we don't, depends on the position, but sometimes we do that just to weed it out. But usually I will say, I don't care what the degree is in, because what we're using that to weed out is, look, I don't really care where you went to school or what you did, but if you showed that you were smart enough to get through four years of university and that you had the wherewithal and the personal drive and the gumption to just do it that says something about your character. I'm not that interested in, in your educational path, but I'm interested in your character as a person. And that does say something about your character. So even in the positions where I'm not that interested in education, that degree does open a door to get you into an interview with me on on a lot of occasions. That's kind of what I was saying with the with the degree and getting off your your butt, but it does open doors for you. You said it better than I did. I 100% agree yeah, with you. Yeah. You guys have brought up two points I actually wanted to make and I think you crystallized my thoughts so well. One is yeah, you're right. I actually don't care for my case what med school you went to. It's actually all the same. There are lots of Harvard medical grads that are definitely no smarter than U of S or U of M grads. I know that for certain because I've met those people. Yeah. It's a yardstick. You have chosen to do something that required uh, patience and persistence and dedication. That alone makes you more interesting. Uh, number two for you, uh, Bruce, you bring up a very good point. And I often use you as an example. And I've actually used you as an example pretty recently with my kids. Because as you know, I still go to Yellowknife every once in a while. To, you know, I send pictures of Hamlet of Joe Haven. And I remember <laughs> when you went up there because I was in Europe and I was sending you postcards. If you remember that. Um, <laughs> I do. And I, and I tell people, when you're young, you can literally do anything go and work in some crazy out of the way place, make obscene money like you did, like, and that's obscene money. Like even in my residency, you made twice as much money as I did, uh, you know, when I'm a resident. And so that's a very good piece of advice to give people is, yeah, get a degree, but you know, get off your ass and go somewhere that's under service because hey, that community will pay you a lot of money. They'll appreciate you. And the last time I was in Yellowknife, I met a 26-year-old accountant for the city of Yellowknife because no one was taking the job. So she's in a major city, like a capital of a territory for the government. And she gets this ridiculous work experience because no one, oh, I don't want to go all the way up north. And she's like making a hundred plus K a year working for the city of Yellowknife and the government uh, because she was smart enough to realize well, I can do anything when in my mid-20s. Who cares? Yeah. And that's probably the best advice. That's probably almost better advice than you than going to school. But it's probably the two combined. For me, certainly the two combined was, was the magic potion. The two what-ifs. If your kids 
Georgie said they wanted to to take a trade and and skilled labor. Would you take that if they said no? I'm I'm waiting tables as a career. Fuck off, get out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you? Get out. <laughs> yeah, what if questions are always difficult for me? I I already Super see hard. it in my kids that that's not their trajectory. But to answer your point, I'd actually be very happy with either one of them doing what we called like a skilled trade or an apprenticeship or some kind. And to get back to the, the last pod that we did, if you didn't go to university, you wouldn't have been walking with Rick McKenzie and Steve DeGroot and listen to The Watchmen, <laughs> who is now your favorite band of all time. I just like that idea that university isn't just about learning stuff. It's about learning who you are going to be. And you get to meet people from all walks of life. And our res experience is a very good example of meeting you know, tons of people from small town Manitoba that we would have never met otherwise. So um, I, I think it serves two purposes. If I bartended, though, Georgie, I might have seen like 10 bands as good as The Watchmen. I might have 10 <laughs> favorite bands and <laughs> met a lot of interesting characters. Uh, yeah, Georgie, I think that's an interesting point because I agree. I think that there's, if you talk about just the, the university experience, it's two-faced. It's not just about education, right? It's about it's about life. You know, you finish high school, you're 18 years old. If you don't go to university, what are you doing at age 18? Because you're kind of too young to really do anything mm-hmm. at 18, you know? So that four years from 18 to 22, you know, the best advice that I would give, and I don't have kids, so I don't have to stress about this the way you guys do. You got that four-year period. You need to spend it, you know, meeting new people, interacting, exploring new ideas, thinking about what the hell you want to do when you do grow up because you're not growing up at 18. Even if you're going to go into a technical trade, take that time to to get some life experience and some world experience. And a, and a university campus or any sort of educational facility campus is probably the best place to be doing that when you're 18 years old. Because like you said, you meet a, a ton of people with, with diverse backgrounds and interests, but all trying to kind of figure out where they're going to go next. And it's, the, it's a great period of your life and it's a great opportunity to to figure out what you do want to do and then maybe you decide you do want to go to university or you decide you want to do something different you decide what your passion is right you decide you want to own a business you decide you want to be uh you know a, a chef or an artist or whatever it is but it's pretty tough to know that at 18 and i think the, those formative years that's why we all look back on it so fondly those formative years are are pretty important whether you're getting formal education or not mm-hmm. I don't think that a university is the only place to get that, right? I sometimes think, play junior hockey for four years. You're going to meet a whole bunch of people. You're going to see lots of the world. You're going to cross paths with them. You know what I mean? Like you're going to make the best friends of your yep. life. And, and maybe through that, you figure out what your next path is. And that could be kind of any sport or that could be your first few years at a at a job. So I don't know if university is the only place you can get that, but you're right. It's a pretty crazy, crazy mixing pot of people. Probably better than walk, working at Walmart for four years, not saying that there's anything wrong with working at Walmart, but yeah, no, that's a good point, Bruce. Cause I think, I think the point I was trying to make is that it's important to take that time in your life at that age to like take a little bit of time and figure out what it is that you want to do. I'll, I'll give you that. That's a hundred percent true. Yeah. I couldn't, couldn't agree yeah. more. You know, Les is absolutely right. I have no idea why I knew forever. It's just, I always have known. And I remember people asking me just to Sandy Santos, her dad just turned 80 years old. Bruce, you remember uh, his, her dad used to go play badminton with us at the high school. Yeah, totally. And I would walk over to his house because he lived on Ash Street and I'd get a ride. He asked me, 
you know, George, what happens if you don't get into med school? And I looked at him like completely blank and I said, I don't understand your question. <laughs> and he says, what's your backup plan? And I'm all, there is no backup plan. This is the only thing I'm going to do. That's unusual. I realize that certainty is unusual. And so I do reflect on it and I sometimes wish, you know, I wonder if I should have taken a gap year like Les did and traveled and did more than one thing because I was so driven to do what I have become. And I'm glad that I did it. And it's not as if I suffered along the way. Like I made money, I traveled, I enjoyed my life. You know, things were pretty good, but you can be occasionally a little bit too driven for something and university sometimes lends to that uh, because the people that I see coming out of university applying for the jobs, because I recently interviewed for the new ICU fellows coming into our program, every couple of years, the level of education that it takes to become or get these more coveted and coveted positions is becoming ridiculous. Um, there is no way with my credentialing back in the day would I have been a successful applicant today. And I think Les kind of touched that uh, a little bit because I think the competition and the selling of the dream is it's really ramping up people wanting to pad that resume, not just with education, but with other things, you know. So Les, I'd be interested to know what else you look on that resume. Did they travel? Did they volunteer? You know, did they build homes in Guatemala? Like people, uh, education has become not just getting a degree, but looking amazing on paper or in life to become something that you're supposed to be. I don't know if you've seen that in resumes or if, or Bruce, if you see that in the people that work with you. I do and I don't. I'm a lot like less. Uh, lots of, for me, is life experience and how you answer the interview questions. And same thing, if we're looking for a degree, if you got one, I don't care where it came from as long as you, it's sort of what we talked about before. If you can make it through to get one, that kind of works for me. So Yeah, I would say from, from my standpoint, George, I, I would say, and this is the, the terrifying thing that no young person looking for their first job wants to hear, is that all I really look at is work experience on a resume. And I used to say that it's great to be a Harvard grad, but you're in a job interview, you're only a Harvard grad once. And it's when you're going for your first job, because as soon as you've had a job, when you go to that second job interview, I'm going to ask you about your job, not about the fact that you went to Harvard. That's kind of how the, the point I was trying to make about I get less and less interested in, in your educational background, especially the further you get, like the more senior the position, you know, if it's someone with 20 years of work experience, I'm going to talk about what you've done and I'm going to be interested in what you've done in your career path. That's, I know that's a terrible thing to hear for, for young people looking for their first jobs because they don't have any work experience. And at that point, you know, you ask them about their education. What I see as well is that your health is directly correlated to your socioeconomic status. That is very clearly borne out in the literature and what I see. So another incentive that I have for my kids and people in general to go to university that gets you to get that job experience, to get you that first job in Joe Haven or somewhere else. How much money you make directly leads to how healthy you will be. Now that's kind of broad strokes because poor people and rich people can do crack cocaine, opioids, like I get that. But generally speaking, there is a very clear cutoff in most people's society that after a certain amount of money that your household makes, your health goes up with it. Sadly, though, George, yeah. that that is an argument that is just 
going to be super hard to resonate with anybody under 30 and maybe 40. If I tell my kids you'll be healthier because you make more money, they're going to like that. But how much is that really going to motivate them? And I'm not trying to whammy you for that, but it, no, no, when you're, you're right. 22, you don't, you don't care. You want a better car and a suit and a girlfriend. You don't care that your chance of getting diabetes when you're 45 is less if you have a better job. It's true. I, wanna, I remember very clearly when I was in high school, my friend Mark Frompson had a poster on the wall in his bedroom. At the top of the poster, it said justification for higher education. And the picture on the poster was like a four car garage in a private home with the doors up. And it was the back ends of like a Porsche and a Ferrari and an Aston Martin and all this stuff. Yeah. And I remember like thinking like, yeah, fuck, man. You know, that's why you go to school and that's why you go to a good school so you can make good money so you can get good toys, you know. <laughs> and that's that's what it was exactly what that drive was about. And that's why I find it so it's particularly disheartening. And I don't want to get on a big rant about, uh, you know, the American economic and political situation, but but it is disheartening seeing what's become of the education situation in the U.S. in that it's become, you know, almost like a pyramid scheme of, of money. Mm -hmm. It's made that dream even harder to attain because the system is, is so weighted. If you start at the bottom end of the socioeconomic ladder in North America, the cards are so stacked against you from a health standpoint, from an education standpoint, from a long-term financial standpoint. It's just a tougher and tougher mountain to climb. And every generation it gets mm -hmm. harder because the game keeps getting changed. You know, the, the people at the top of that pyramid are moving the pieces around to ensure that it stays harder for the people at the bottom of the pyramid. And, it's, and uh, your kids are smart. I'm sure they'll figure it out. And you, you guys will give them good parental guidance. Uh, 30 years from now, they'll be having a podcast talking about how much things have changed over their generation, I'm sure, as well. And uh, hopefully we're all still around to listen to it because it'll be interesting. <laughs> or my or my kids will be lamenting. George won't fucking die. We won't get his inheritance for Christ's <laughs> sake, Dad. Die. <laughs> I know there's money coming. <laughs> I hit you with the question of uh, what if your kids wanted to take a trade or what if they chose a service job? And trade, absolutely, I'm right there, a skilled trade, something like that. If they said, you know what, I'm going to start working at Applebee's and I'm going to do this as a career for a little while, I would struggle with that. I mean, I know that I would hope that that, you know, turns into I'm going to university or going to get a trade somewhere down the line. But if they said, you know what, I'm a career service person and these are people I like and I'm hanging out and I enjoy, you know, serving people, I want to believe that I could support that, but it would be hard. I got to tell you. Yeah, I agree. It would be hard. That's just honest of you, Bruce, to say that. And I mean, who knows, over time, maybe that grows, right? You see them having, having a good life and it's great. But yeah, that would be, uh, that'd be a little, little tricky for sure. Last thoughts, Lester, anything? Uh, no, I think that's it. Other than, other than the fact that I believe strongly, you know, from a political standpoint, that society has to work towards making higher education more affordable on a continuous basis. You know, there's a lot of proven models in other parts of the world, parts of Northern Europe, where education is heavily subsidized. And I think the, the value to society of that is tremendous. The CJEP example in Quebec is a little bit what you talked about less is, so that's basically like a grade 13. You probably even know it better than I do, but my sister talks about it a lot because they live in Quebec. And it, it's, not a, it's basically free first year 
college or first year university. Yeah, it's like a middle year, right? Like a prep school year almost. Totally. Yeah, yeah. it gives kids a, just another year to mature a little bit more and to, to think about what you do, but sort of in a, like you say, prep school or yeah. or university entrance kind of environment. When we were college aged, um, there was grade 13 in Ontario. When I moved to Toronto, yep. kids were still going to grade 13. And I remember um, working with parents who had kids that were graduating in what was called the double cohort year because they got rid of grade 13, which meant that the last year of students graduating from grade 13 coincided with the first year of students graduating from grade 12. So there was one year, it would have been, I'm gonna guess around 2005 maybe, that there were double the amount of high school students graduating in Ontario. It's called the double cohort year. And it made it incredibly difficult to get into universities that year. And parents were just stressed and everything was nuts. The schools, University of Toronto didn't have enough dorm rooms for everybody. And they they bought a couple of shitty hotels to turn into extra dorm rooms and stuff. And it was a big change that, I don't know, I don't know why they did it. Maybe it went backwards, right? Because as you're saying, like that CJEP year, you know, that extra year of grade 13 was probably a good thing in the, in the big picture. <laughs> I think it probably was. No, seriously. All right, so that's it. I'm back now with Steve. We're in the basement talking about our friends. What? Yeah. Who doesn't love talking about <laughs> yeah. their friends behind their back? Yeah. Well, we actually, you should Get tell them chat. that we had it off for like four hours and then we started recording. We had to pick it up again. We talked so much <laughs> shit behind their backs. We fell, you fell asleep on me, Bruce. Remember? We had to... I, fell, I fell asleep twice <laughs> so on sweet. you. You were having you such asleep. a time. I had to redial you. Kept getting your voicemail. What stuck out for you, man? Where do you want to start? What are uh, what are some of your thoughts on our, our conversation? You know, my predictions came true, I think. <laughs> <laughs> the four predictions that I I made in the at the end, less less I have to agree with George. He's he's a real dick. His brother. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, enough taking the piss out. Stay, no, it was stay, a, yeah. stay tuned for that. Yeah. Oh yeah, I forgot, I forgot they wouldn't. Have, yeah, they may not have heard that. So yeah, no, I just I think it was it was great to hear their perspectives. You know, they're formally educated. So you know, the first couple of things that come to mind it was you know the comment of the parents. You know, whether you're you know an immigrant or a new Canadian or a, an educated parent, that had a big big effect. And I, my parents were just like, just do something. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> just you know, get out of the house. So, well, just do something productive, right? <laughs> like there was, you know, my father, you know, worked in the in the mines, and he, you know, he, if you look at number of jumps he made from, you know, slinging, you know, he started a machine shop and then relocated his whole family to start underground, like as a laborer. Uh, and finished as the superintendent of asset management for, you know, Valley Inco. And my mom spent her whole time at the church, the homeless shelter, and the hospital, right, uh, and was a youth, a child care worker. So I was screwed from the beginning, right? It was just like, <laughs> be productive, you know, do something useful. So, you know, I got to I got to school, and it was like at a university or a high school, and I was like, oh, I want to make people's lives better. So I, I think everyone's going this way. Everyone's heading down south, so let's do it. So that's that kind of stood out to me how important their views are on a formal education. And, uh, I, my opinion has, has changed. I, like, I actually leaned more towards what you're saying, Bruce. Uh, I think if we were both on the call, we would have had a more, a more even, even perspective. And I don't disagree with the university. I've got two kids there. So obviously, you know, it, it served me well and they're there. And I know you've got uh, 
one there and maybe one on the way and maybe not. And that's, yeah, yeah. that's all good. But, but uh, you're right. I, I, listening back to it, uh, I thought we could have balanced the conversation a little bit more with other, other life paths. But at the same time, part of the, the premise when we got together to talk about the pod was to talk about yeah. is university still a good option in 2019 and 2020, yeah. right? So I, I, f- I felt like we missed that a little bit, but, uh, but, but maybe that's one that we have to circle good. back on someday. Yeah, but I think it's good because they're gatekeepers. Les made it very clear. I hire people. George, George is, you know, in a position now where he's hiring people or recommending people. And I think it was valuable to see their perspectives from that position. You know, my perspective overall is if, if your trajectory requires school, right? Like, you know, a doctor, a lawyer, Braden, for instance, is, has always wanted to be a mechanical engineer. But you have to, if you want to become a, you know, a PN, you must have a university degree. He knows that. So he just went straight into it, right? Um, yeah. You know, he did want to travel. Uh, no, he didn't want to travel. He's like, oh, maybe I'll take the gap year kind of thing. He's a young guy. So I think uh, he was in university. He graduated at 17, was in university at 17, actually. So so to go to back, you know, about... Anyway, I, I was going to comment on less saying, well, you know, 18 years old, you, um, what was it? You're too young to do anything. I think I think Br- uh, Bray shatters the mold on that. Um, <laughs> to, to, know what, to know what you want to do. Yeah, yeah he's like absolutely. 18 years old going to 90, right? And um, <laughs> And I said no to the gap year because... You know, from my, my own experience, I guess we influence, you know, our children like George's will be dead to them if they don't go to school. <laughs> <laughs> but the reality is I just said, look, dude, you're young. You're, you're, you know, one of the schools you want to go to is close to home. Get it done because as an engineer, you can work anywhere in the world. Like that, you j- literally can just, yeah. you know, I will, you know, give you, grant you whatever you want to do when you've done that degree. I will support you to, to move anywhere immediately, right? But get this done. Because a lot of people talk yeah. about, especially the formal, like the the harder type, more thinking, more systemic that lead to co-op programs. Like there's a lot of involved. So if you don't do it, you know, when you're motivated to do it, it's really tough to get back to, to slingshot back there later in life. Yeah. Whereas Zane, he's not sure. Like he's not sure. Like he's, you know, he's in grade 11 and, you know, like putting the RESP, RESPs away. But, you know, something if he doesn't want to go to school and it's not part of his trajectory, then let's support him to do something that, again, you'll hear me say it all the time something that's meaningful to him, right? Brings his life, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's my perspective on it. We, 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 and we bounced through that a couple of times, I think, in the pod. It was interesting listening back to the conversation because you're right. I think we all agreed that university is not the only path, but it feels like we, especially as we were talking about it, we were really angling most people in that direction. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's, it's interesting because I often will disagree with George more than I'll disagree with Les. I don't know why that is, but it's just been that way. Not outright, but we'll just have slight, slightly different different views. And I found myself, actually, I felt them aligned on the whole idea of the degree meant something. I think George called it a yardstick. Les said that, you know, the degree, you know, if they're smart enough to get through, um, and, then, and then made a very, very profound statement that it says something about your character. And I'm going to have to totally disagree with that. Like, I think, you know, assuming that somebody got a degree done in this day and age says something about their character is totally a misrepresentation hmm. and i'll give you an example like we don't know why they got through school it could have been because their parents said you do it now they could have got a you know what like i i went to my master's uh, you know when i did my master's you know at that level you're kind of more you're adults and you talk to people about school and stuff of like that and there's a range of people just doing it to get by they had a scholarship they're in a relationship and you know like like whatever reason right but because they yeah. got that degree says nothing like about their character, 
right? And you've got to be very, very yeah. careful. It says that they they followed through. It says that they stuck something out for several years, but it doesn't say what meaning that held for them or why they did that, right? So, you know, it doesn't really tell us much about their character or their motivation, you know? And to, to, to say that, you know, a, a formal education environment is where you where you learn about yourself, I would say probably that would be the least area because you're in a place where everybody's there for pretty much the same reasons or similar reasons. You're in the same environment, right? Yes, you react to it differently, uh, but you're all moving in the same direction. Whereas if you're traveling, even working in a bar, uh, cutting hair, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> like talking, talking to, you know, 15 different people from different diverse backgrounds every day while you cut their hair would give you a much better education than every day in a formal education setting. I'll tell you that right now, right? Because they want to talk about what they want to talk about. They don't want to talk about what you want to talk about, right? And I think you'd learn a lot more there. But I think I was playing on your, your you know, if you were a bartender, you probably would have heard a lot of better bands, you know, or good bands anyway. Sorry, no disrespect to the Watchmen because they, they are an amazing band. Yeah. There are guys, yeah. I just think it's a pretty unique view to think that uh, a formal education nowadays is one of the places where you're going to learn about yourself. I, I don't think so. I think you're just delaying learning about yourself, to tell you the truth. Huh. Interesting way to look at it. And as I listened back on that, I thought I, wa I waffled on that too. Exactly what you said. I, you used a, somebody cutting hair, which I think is an even better example. But I thought about a taxi driver too. I mean, you're, yeah. you are going to see anybody and everybody and they're going to give, if you ask, they'll give you their opinion and they'll tell you oh. how the world works. Kind, oh, kind absolutely. Of. Everybody there is probably similar to your age. They're probably in a similar, you know, economic bracket to you. Yeah. There are people from all yeah. around the world and especially now we see, I mean, U of M is an amazing, they've got so many international students. And so in oh, that yeah. respect, um, there, there are some, some great things about that, but. It comes back to, you know, I kind of ended up there, not by accident. I kind of knew what I wanted to do, right? It was the pathway. Um, but like I said, is if you're intentional and you know that that's your, like your, your trajectory requires that experience, then it makes sense, right? I think juxtaposing it or, or pitting it against other experiences is probably an, you know, an exercise in futility because it is a personal perspective, right? Which is what we're doing. One of the things that, that we didn't really touch on, what if you can't make it through university? And there are lots of people who just aren't cut out to do schoolwork or you, you yeah. get there and it just does, it just kind of doesn't fit for you. And I, I kind of felt we were a little bit remiss not touching on that. Uh, yeah, you, you almost did. Well, and I guess the other interesting part of that, especially with less with the McDonald's commercial example was just that the money will get you through. Like, if you yeah. if you have enough money and you, you just keep paying, eventually you're gonna you're gonna get there, and then you're gonna have a degree, um, and then you're gonna start opening some of those doors. Like I, I don't think we quite got there, but did you notice that at all? There's a couple of things you mentioned there. Is like the people that just can't make it through and make it. I have quotes on that because make it, Bruce. You're a great example. Again, you're one of the smartest people I know, one of the most personal people I know, most talented people I know. You're not making it through had nothing to do with your your potential or your capacity to learn or to work. Mm -hmm. Yours just had to do with this is not a good fit for me, right? I mean, until it became meaningful to me, like I'm, I'm also another example. Like I, you know, what do I need to get by? 51, okay, 51, 51. Um, you know, <laughs> academic probation, you know, my first two years were just like, just, like just having fun, basically. I played sports and we went out and we had lots of fun. And then I realized yeah. that, you know, somebody I liked thought that I should get better grades and that became meaningful. I'm like, oh, you got to do something with yourself. And then I learned that uh, you can win money for getting good grades 
and I got the best grades ever. Like I won every single academic award after that, right? So like if you look at my, you know, it's like what was the meaning in this? It's like, well, someone's going to pay for school and I'm tired of working. Again, it's it's the level of meaning it holds. And if it's if it's got meaning for you, you're going to do well, like period. And if it doesn't, it's going to be a struggle. Like Les, I don't think it was built for school. Les was smarter than school. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> like, like school, <laughs> totally true. school for him, like was great to, I, I think to learn, to meet people and to learn about the, the suave of business and like that kind of thing. But really, mm-hmm. and, I, and I don't want to speak for him cause I'd love him to, to, to speak to that. But, but man, he, even in school, you're like, I, I always said, what are you doing here, man? And he'd be setting up those <laughs> business schemes and stuff of that. And he was already making it before he was in school. And the whole thing about it becoming a big business. Wow. I mean, it is, it's too bad because Georgie's kids will uh, be able to go to school because he can afford it, right? And that's just a reality Mm -hmm. that there are many kids that won't be able to afford it. It's just that level harder too for everybody from up north. So even if you can find the money to move from... Thompson's hard for us to move from Split Lake to Winnipeg or to move... The the barriers are just spectacular. When you think about the systemic racism, like I did, I taught in the access program in Northern Manitoba, right? So going to school, the financial financial part of it for many of my First Nation students was not the biggest barrier. It Mm -hmm. was leaving family. It was leaving your home for the first time. It was being in a classroom with predominantly white people. Uh, And to think academically uh, when your Mm -hmm. language is... Your third language is English. Uh, even though you're Canadian, it's a whole nother, um, it's a whole nother uh, set of um, issues for sure. Yeah, massive yeah. barriers. Yeah. As I listened to it a, f- a few times editing through it, it really is a little bit of a case of the f- of groupthink among even the four of us, right? Our all of our experiences, university, the people around us are university. So that's something that means maybe more to us, and that's the path that we see. You know, I think where you and I would differ, since I differed with George and, and Lester. Uh, was that whole idea of the whole service service industry? You know that you'd you'd have a, you'd struggle with that. I would have to say I I wouldn't. You know I want because you serve people constantly in your. I own think way. it's beautiful. <laughs> I think if you're ROI, if you can eat, you know if you can have shelter and food and you can make ends meet, and your life has meaning. You know that's just something I've seen through my work, right? So it's not like mm-hmm. a, so I don't believe in you know I I don't think I would be disappointed. I want uh, I want my boys to have meaning in their life and. You know, of course, we don't want to see them struggle. And maybe that's it, because I think where you may have felt not comfortable with that is just because you want better for them. Like every parent does. I want, you know, I want them to to have a little more, to have better, to have yeah. to be able to, to have the things that you want them to have. And because that isn't totally our experience, we I think we sort of equate that with struggling the way you said that, yeah. that maybe you won't have as much money or time off or, you know, life satisfaction. But I don't think that's true. Yeah. I think you can you can have you can be financially successful and yeah. and and yeah. be in a good position. But partly for me, it's just because it's so far outside of my experience that right. it's hard to yeah. it's a little hard, hard to, to fathom, picture, you know. Oh, for mm-hmm. sure. For sure. And it, it's, it, I think it's, it's important to note that you don't have to compromise either way. Totally. At either end of the spectrum, right? You yeah. can have a meaningful life if you, if you know what you want and what's important to you. Lightning round reflections on some course that you've taken, good or bad, from university or lifelong learning so you ever took. It was uh, an Aboriginal studies course. It was one of my first ones. And 
you know, I, my mind was blown and my heart ached, um, for what first nations people have been through in our country. And I just remember going, everybody needs to know this, you know, everybody, every, every human being, especially non first nations, you know? Yeah. And, uh, just remembering how angry I would feel. Right. And, you know, there's a question, you know, I'll never forget. I'll never forget. We're in a, you know, a, a very diverse group of people and first nations and, and non first nations. And, they were talking about this some stupid survey of where's the best place to live, and Canada was number one that year. And uh, I remember a guy saying very clearly, "Unless you live in in my community," and he said the name of the community, and it was just it was just like, "Wow!" Like just everything stopped. Right? Very powerful course. And I got there later than you did, but same story as you. But maybe it was a little bit more impactful for people like you and I because we I think we grew up in the center of that very much, yeah, and yeah. didn't get and didn't get it. Right, no, like in high no. school, the beginning no. of your university, you didn't, you just didn't get that, and I didn't get it either. And then yeah. when you finally start to understand it, I think it's even just a little bit more heartbreaking. Like our country can do a way better job of educating. Like that's the number one thing we need to do is just educate people on what really happened. And I think that would change a big tide of some of the systemic mm-hmm. racism that we uh, that we experience. Hundred percent. Lester, you get to go first, so George doesn't steal yours. For a business degree, you had to do a minor in an art. So every, almost everybody did it in psychology. And there were a couple of courses that you could take by correspondence over the summer. And they were the psychology of sex differences, one and two. And so there was a total racket at U of M because these were correspondence courses where you would sign up for them and they would just find somebody who had taken the courses previously because they were all uh, multiple choice questions and you would just find somebody who had taken it and you would, the answers just got passed down from summer to summer to summer. <laughs> so that's how I got my minor in psychology. <laughs> <laughs> the funniest part of that maybe is that uh, my brother Chris actually needed one half credit to graduate so he signed up for psychology of sex differences to get this half credit and he needed my materials so i actually uh put the squeeze on him a couple of times like for a whole bunch of different things i'm like oh fuck you you want my answers to that course i want uh, your car and i want this and that and uh, so that was the uh, the only time that our academic careers ever <laughs> crossed paths in university you're like the mob two brothers that were cheating together yeah, awesome. totally. Cheated your way through the same degree. I was so fine with it, and he was so stressed about it. He was clearly ethically, you know, like uh, conflicted. And I was like, "Yeah, dude, I couldn't care less. I'm going to squeeze. I'm going to make you pay me for these free answers that I got for free last summer." <laughs> <laughs> Goes to show you the difference between he and I as brothers, right? Fond memories. <laughs> well, yeah, unless you're a real piece of shit. I am. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel that your minor in psychology is legit as anybody's minor in psychology. Yes, that's how probably that's how. I have a minor in sociology, so it's the same. In my fourth year, before I got into med school, I was a part-time student and I worked a little bit. I was a biology TA and I ended up wanting to take something that would be easy. And I took the this course called Economic Botany with Al Shoeki. I still remember the guy. And it was exactly what you think of what would be for economic botany. There was a small lecture followed by a lab and we made sauerkraut. We made beer and then drank it at the end of the year. 
we talked about the economics of corn and the gigantic corn industry in the states and how much lobbying power they have so it's just really super interesting nothing to do with my career trajectory i actually still have the book because it's so interesting (laughs) 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 to further give grief to my course load at university we had to take a bunch of phys ed courses so We ended up taking a bunch of sports courses, which was really kind of silly because most recreation directors and rec people don't actually play or coach sports. Like it's, it's sort of a whole different thing, but whatever, that was part of the degree. I took a team handball course, which turned out to be just awesome. I don't know if you've ever played team handball, but it's an amazing sport. It was the the university basketball coach that was coaching it. And so the one morning we get up and we're doing just a simple weave drill, you know, where you run down the floor and you pass it around. And I tried to do a, a no look pass and totally threw it away like into the the corner of the gym and he calls everybody over he goes this is a simple drill just think about it go through it easy not like magic fucking johnson here (laughs) 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 he's just staring back I thought, man, that is rich. You don't get that in class very often. The no no look pass for team handball. I know. I thought I was going to be so cool. It was going to be so awesome. And it just went so bad. And he just, he absolutely, he stopped the drill, called everybody over and ripped me. Last one, I took as an adult education thing, a course on how to fillet jackfish with no bones. One of the most useful courses I've ever taken in my life. Oh, that is pretty handy. That's awesome. Because that's a tough fish to fillet. They got lots of nasty little bones, quite a bit harder than pickerel. Way harder. It's it's tricky. You got to know, you got to know the routine. Yeah. But uh, once you get it, man, the world is your oyster. There's a lot of meat on those jackfish, I gotta say. Because my best friends, two chicken friends, we've always been together. We're four of a kind, having fun all day, piling around and laughing away. Just best friends, best friends are we. That's it. That's the end. You probably found us already on social media, but if not, at Snow Day Pod, tell your friends. We've also got an email, snowdaypod at gmail.com. Send us a voice memo. Maybe we'll put your voice on the show. Thanks to the rest of our team, social media Todd, producer Mike, and the secret weapon, Shannon Bison.